If that doesn't chill you out, I don't know what does right now, <laughs> right? Some of y'all needed that today, right? Hey, we, we are right in the middle of a series called Stretched Thin, and we've been talking about just how just in life we're consumed with so many different things that take us, take our minds, our hearts, our peace in so many different ways. And we talked about just uh, mentally, we've talked, I mean, we've talked about financially, we've talked about all these different things, but today we're talking about mentally stretched thin. And the question we're going to ask today is, is this, are you mentally too stressed out to follow God? Are you too stressed out? Are you too worried about something that you can't find happiness in your life? You can't find peace of mind. I don't know if that resonates with you. It does with me. Because I want to tell you a truth about me, something you might not know. I am an over-processor. In other words, I think through every possible scenario of what's going to happen in the future before it ever happens. And so if I have a stressful situation coming up, I kid you not, if I'm having a difficult conversation with you, I will have had a conversation with you 10,000 times in my mind about every possible way I think it's going to come true. Anybody else like that where you just think and think and think and it just stresses you out thinking, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And, and, and I'll just tell you, in the life of a pastor, that's not a good thing to have, <laughs> okay, especially in this season. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with you you didn't know we had, probably. I don't know if that resonates with you or not. I, I think this would be a good time to have some talk back. If you do me a favor with the people next to you, would you do this? What, what is something you have been or are stressed out about? Would you answer that? Would you take a second with the person next to you and just share? Just honestly, maybe you're not stressed about anything. Man, God bless you. Share something you have been in the past, but just take a second. What is something you are or have been stressed out about before? We bring it back in. I just want to say what a blessing it is to have Katie leading for us today and just allowing us. It's just amazing how worship calms the soul sometime. Uh, if you don't know, Katie came and led worship for our cabin at Falls Creek. Just did an amazing job and just even more so she poured in the kids all week. And so what a blessing it is. I don't know what you worry about, what you stress about. There's a statistic that is once said that 90% of all things we worry about never come true. And the other 10% of the time it never comes like we thought it was. There's also a statistic that says 99% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So I don't know what's true, what's not, you know. Regardless, worry is a real thing that many of us deal with in different capacities of our life. What worry is a thief, to be honest, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. John MacArthur once said in one of his commentaries talking about worry, he says, worry comes from an old German word meaning to strangle or to choke. It's kind of a mental and emotional strangulation. I mean, think about what worry does in your life when you begin to stress and worry about things in your life. It, it damages our health. Scientifically, it's shown that literally, it can literally damage your health. It takes time away from your life. It disrupts our productivity. There's so many things we do, but we can't stop thinking about this one thing. It negatively affects the way you treat others in your life, even those you care about the most. It robs you of your faith, and even more so, it ruins your day, does it not? As one person once said, talking about worry and how the more we feed it, the worse it gets, they said this, they said, worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. 
which if encouraged will cut a channel so wide that all our thoughts will be drained out. Man, what a, a very realistic thing of what worry is. Like, how do we handle the stress in our life? How do we handle the anxiety? How do we handle the worries in our life? Like, does God give a remedy? Does God have a biblical answer? And the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 as we look. And ultimately, the synopsis, the big idea that we want to pull from what we're going to see in this passage is this. It's simply this. You worry about God, let God worry about you. And we'll unpack it even more to make more sense of that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. And let's look at Jesus' thoughts on worry. Like, What does he have to say about the worry, the anxiety, the stress I'm dealing with? And I encourage you right now, as you've shared, hopefully with someone else, what you're worrying about, and maybe some of you didn't share honestly with them, I would encourage you to vocally express that to God. Name your stress. Name your worry. Like, God, this is, this is stressing me out right now as we begin to unpack what worry, according from a biblical standpoint, is, and allow God to speak truth into it. Identify it. Let's talk about it. So we're going to read it all and then unpack it and see what God says. And so we're going to take a biblical look at what Jesus' thoughts on worry are. And then we're going to look at what a biblical remedy for worry is, like a practical thing. Like, what do you do? Well, what can I take home and start doing? So, so follow along. This is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is just unpacking his word in such a deeper way. He's taking Old Testament concepts and, and interpreting them in a way that's saying, this is what God really wants you to understand and really get through to your head. And so let's follow along. It says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body or what you will wear. It, like, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Like, look at the birds of the air. Like, like they don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and, and yet your heavenly Father still feeds them, doesn't he? Like, are you not much more valuable than they are? Like, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Like, see how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Like, if that's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, like, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each of you has enough trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So let's go back and look. Like, what is Jesus talking about? Because there's a lot of great things, but there's also truths that I have trouble wrapping my mind around. Like, that sounds good, but, but what he says versus what I experience are two totally different things. I don't know if you can identify with that. And so we begin to look. He starts with therefore. Therefore is a transitional statement. Anytime, as, as uh, some pastors I've heard say before, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, what's that therefore, therefore? Like he just comes off talking about treasures in heaven, talking about worrying about so much, trying to build yourselves up, uh, wealth and all this sort of stuff, which goes into what we talked about last week. He's saying, you know, don't worry about that, and even more so, let's talk about worry. He begins to unpack more about it. In his first section, verse 25 through 30, he's talking about, he just says this. Ultimately, like, worry is just unnecessary. It's an unnecessary thing. Like, he starts by talking about, says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, drink, what you'll wear. Like, don't worry about this stuff. God's got it. God's got you. 
which sounds good, and it's the thing that Christians are supposed to say, right? But let's be honest. Let's be real for a second. I look in the world, and yet I still see hunger. I still see people homeless. When I go to a hot dog ministry on Monday, go get to help them sometimes, you see people who don't have clothes, don't have shelter, don't have food. You have poverty in the world. So what's going on here? Is Jesus lying? Because there's a conflict from what I see, from what God says right here. If God provides and God's going to care for me, how come he's not doing it for all these children and people and whatnot? Or, or maybe it comes to a question that I've struggled sometimes with is, maybe I'm not more valuable. Because he says, like, are you not more valuable than these birds? Well, maybe I'm not. Maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe God's forgotten me. But yet he talks about verse 26 as an observation. And he's using a technique of teaching. He's like, listen, just, just look for a second at the birds. And, and imagine for yourself exactly. You're sitting there with him. He's preaching on this mountain. And he's talking. He's like, like look, look over here. Just look at these birds for a minute. Just look at how they live. They, they work and they do all this sort of stuff. But God's the ultimate one that provides for them, doesn't he? He says, look at the birds of the air. Do they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns and get your heavenly father feeds them? It's interesting to think about birds. If you think of them, birds are always busy. They're always gathering. They're always eating. They're always working to survive. But at the end of the day, when you look at birds, they're still dependent on factors beyond their control, are they not? They don't go plant the grain and make it grow. They don't water the field to make the stuff come together. They don't plant the trees so they can take twigs off and make it so they can build their nest. They don't do any of that work, yet they still reap the fruit and get what's going on. You see, they're still dependent on factors beyond their control. And if we're honest with ourselves for a second, that's where worry tends to live in our life, isn't it? It's not in the stuff that we can control. It's in the factors that are beyond our control. My conversations that I stress about are, are what are you going to say? Like, what, what are they going to come to me? What are they going to get angry about? What, what am I going to do about this? It's factors that I can't control that I begin to worry about. How can I change the cir circumstances? I can't do it. You see, there's a reality, like there's a difference between our stewardship and God's ownership. You still have a responsibility to be good stewards and good workers of your life and manage it well, but at the end of the day, understand that God still has ownership. There, there are factors beyond your controls. Even though you steward things well, at the end of the day, God's the one who owns it, and he's the one in control of it. Like if I were to relate this back to my pastor situation, I've stressed at times, like how can we lead more people to Christ? Like why can't we get people saved? What are we doing wrong? Why can't we do more bad? Why can't we get more people in? Why can't we help with the tie situation? All these things that are beyond my control. That is not my stuff to worry about. I have a responsibility to stress about my stewardship of the people in front of me being faithfully put in places at all the things I'm supposed to. Think, think about even with my kids as a parent. I can't control my kids as much as I try. And trust me, they, I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. At the end of the day, I steward them well, but at the end of the day, they are God's. And I have to give them to him and say, God, I trust you with my kids. You see, you're, you're called to be a good steward, but at the end of the day, God's the one that owns them. And so the truth he's pointing out this is this. Is there, there's a point beyond our control that belongs to God, and we need to give it to God. You need to give it to him. And if you're honest with yourself, those areas of stress, of anxiety, of worry, a lot of times are those things you have no control over. And you'll worry yourself to sleep every night thinking through every possible situation of something that no matter what you did, you can't change the outcome. And you just need to give it to God. As a matter of fact, verse 27, he just talks about how useless worry is a response. He says, can you, in all your worries, add one moment to your life? If you worry it up as much as you want, can you change the outcome? Can you add one, like, how useless the response of worry is? 
And then he goes on to another situation. He goes, listen, don't just take the birds. Take the lilies. Take the flowers in the field. Look at those things. Another observation. He says, look at those lilies in the field. He says, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. God provided and brought more beauty in the, in the most unnecessary thing. He's saying this, God even provides for things that are in our control. Not only things that are beyond our control, but even in our control. And God cares for the useless lilies of the field. And he says, these things will be here today and tomorrow they're thrown in the fire. That's a cultural thing we wouldn't understand. What they would do in this time is if you needed fuel for the fire, something quick, pick me up to get the fire going. You would take weeds and these grass and throw it in and it would just be fuel for the fire. That's all they were. It was a useless thing. It's like God cares and dresses with all the majesty and splendor of the beautiful flowers of the field. Like how much more is God going to care for you? It speaks to God even providing for useless things. But again, I, I, have, I have a trouble here because even in my basic areas of life, there's sometimes God doesn't provide, right? I've needed God to come through and it, it didn't work out like I felt like even my basic necessities, even things that were in my control. It makes me sometimes like, am I even more useless than a lily in the field? Some of you guys need to keep your mouth shut on that response. Like, maybe, what, what is God saying here? The truth is this, that God will always provide according to his will. You need to understand that. You see that all throughout Scripture. Like, understand this. Sometimes it's God's will not to provide. T take a narrative journey. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9. If you don't know it real quick, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth gospel. I want to show you an example why God would not provide. John chapter 9, verse 1. It's sometimes God's will not to provide. In John chapter 9, verse 1, he's traveling around. He comes across a man who was born blind. And if you're there, follow along with me. We'll read verses 1 through 11. So it says, we went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In this culture and time, people who had birth defects or life defects, if you had any issue like this, they believed that your parents or you must have sinned at some point for God to have cursed you like this. And Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Like he's gone all his life blind. But Jesus says this, but this has happened, why? So that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night has come when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's ultimately saying this, like, this man is blind because that right now, God, I want, he, I want to display my glory. That's why he was here, for my purpose, for a provided purpose. Now, the story gets weird. Jesus spits on the ground, begins rubbing spitty mud water in his eyes and heals him. Please don't try that at home, okay? You see someone struggling, and you're blind, come here, bro, let me do a hock a and get like, what Jesus does is different than what you should be doing here. But he takes care of him. He's trying to show that, listen, sometimes God's provision, provisional is waiting for something so that God can get greater glory. Sometimes it's God will, God's will not to deliver. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of my favorite texts that talks about something so encouraging. It talks about people of faith who were delivered by God. It starts in verse 33, it says, talking about people said, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, the, whose weaknesses were turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. All these situations, how God provided and just delivered in so many ways. But then it goes to this, a transition. It says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while some others were chained and put in prison. 
They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes of the ground. God did not provide for these people. God did not deliver these people. But verse 39 says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised yet. See, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made more perfect. Like sometimes God doesn't deliver because he, I love verse 40. Ultimately what he's saying is this, because he knows something I don't. If God's not providing for you, if God's not coming through, in times in our life there's sometimes where it's like God maybe knows something that I don't. There's a reason God has not given you that. And it's beyond our control and innocence. It's hard for me not to say to an infinite God, say, like, listen, what, what, I know what's best for my life. This would make me happy. But understanding I'm a finite being that only knows so much, an infinite God that knows the beginning and the end, what, what my first day of my life and the last breath I take is going to look like. God knows so much more. I think in times in my life where I thought, God, if only you would provide it, I'd have been happy. And how he didn't, I'd look back and go, God, you knew something I didn't know. Many of you have heard the story, and some of you texted me just this week making fun of me about the story about when I was a kid having a crush on a country singer named Leanne Rhymes. And I remember praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, like, listen, please allow her just to fall in love with me. We'd get married and we'd be happy. I, I told God exactly how to do it. I had it all planned out how she was going to coach, fall in love with me. And it didn't happen. And this young little eight, nine year old kid in front of a guy, like, I, I, what's wrong? This would be perfect. As now I'm married to a beautiful wife of 16 years, like God knew something I didn't know. I take a different story with my own wife. All of the way growing up, she did gymnastics, competitive gymnastics, to the point that she's 14 years old and hit a point where she had degenerative disc disease, and she was told that if you continue to play, you may never walk again. And she had to give up her dreams of gymnastics. Now, gymnastics for her was a 40-hour-a-week job that she was doing at that point. She gave it up and began getting real involved in church, and she met, in my opinion, a very handsome young man that she would later marry. <laughs> Easy there. A little too much laughter in this room for my own comfort. Listen, at the age of 14, I'm going to tell you right now, she struggled and wept in the room with God. Why? Like, listen, I had dreams. I had aspirations. Looking at it now, we're both grateful. Like, God knew something that neither one of us knew. God might not be providing for you right now. Listen, but we can still trust that he's good and he knows better than we do. And some for us, listen... Some for us, God's deliverance, his providence might not come in this life. He's promised us something much, much better. The truth is God will always provide according to his will. And so, so worry is so unnecessary, and we need to just let it go. And not only is it unnecessary, you see in verse 31 through 32, he talks about really it's, it's unchristian, to be honest. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, for the pagans run after all these things. Pagans talking about people who have no faith, people who are lost as can be. He says, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He talks about it dominating the thought of unbelievers. John MacArthur would say in one of his commentaries, say this, he said, worry strikes a blow to both God's love and integrity. It outwardly declares that our heavenly Father is untrustworthy in his word and in his promise. You see, when we go around and act like, you know what, I don't believe God's going to, we stress and worry without faith. Worry preaches that God can't be trusted or that he isn't real. And it's unchristian to worry. It's unchristian to come to places beyond my control and say, well, I need to worry and I need to stress about the situation. We, we, we display no different faith than those that don't know Jesus Christ or know the God that we're talking about. Now, now, can I just give a little PSA real quick on anxiety? Because there is a real thing as anxiety that is a chemical imbalance that people deal with as a mental treatment. 
I've been around friends who I love dearly, and I've sat there and wa- talked with them and worked through them who stress about things that make no sense whatever. It's not stuff that a common person would stress about. It's something they need help with. And there's nothing wrong with getting medical help. As a matter of fact, I would recommend and encourage that. Even my OBU professors would say, listen, for us to say, hey, you know what, you just need faith in situations like that is not loving towards brothers and sisters of Christ, but let me tell you, there is a difference. And for us who worry about things that we know we shouldn't be worrying about, the things to us that point back to saying, you know what, it's just outcomes I can't control this, and at some point we have to trust God. Not only is Jesus saying it's unnecessary, not only is he saying it's unchristian, but the last thing in verse 34, he just, he just, it's unfruitful. There's nothing good that comes from it. He says this, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow's got enough trouble in and of itself. You spend so much time trying to worry about tomorrow, not only are you adding what's coming tomorrow, but you're adding it on today. You're compounding the issue and making it worse and worse and worse. He says, each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, ultimately, he's saying this, listen, if we spend so much time worrying about tomorrow, we can miss God's provision for today. How often do we look back and realize, man, God really did provide for me in that moment if I would have just trusted right then and there. I think in situations where I didn't know how I was going to make it through, and I look back, guess what? I, I made it through. Maybe not the outcome of the situation like I thought it was, but I've made it through. And every situation, I look back, and you know what? Some things I would not wish on any of you, but I'm grateful God took me through that experience, and God did what he did because God knows something I don't. And stressing about things that I can't control, stressing things that have not come to fruition yet, listen, are just not worthwhile. And so what's the solution? If Jesus is saying worry is unnecessary, it's, it's unfruitful, it's unchristian, like, then what should I do? Well, he says in verse 33, he paints a picture. And I love for Christians, sometimes we need something to grasp hold of and say, what do I do? He's telling you in verse 33, what does he say? He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What these things? Your basic necessities, the things that you're worrying about, what? Will be given to you as well. Like, if you break that down, look what he says. He says, seek first. First means a first importance, but seek is an intentional effort. He's saying if you're going to be consumed with something, be consumed with this. If you're going to worry about something, worry about this. Stress about this. Put your focus on this. That word seek is an intentional effort. It's not happenstance. You don't seek, oh, look, I seek. Like, seek is intentionally looking for it, finding it, trying to jump upon it. He's saying seek this. Seek what? He unpacks two things, his righteousness, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And before we unpack those words, I just want to point out a common denominator in those things. It's his. Not yours, not theirs, but, but it's his. Begin to get consuming the things of God. He's, he's, first one he talks about is his righteousness. What does this mean? What, what does his righteousness mean? In Romans chapter 3, I'm going to read to you, unpacking what Paul describes his righteousness as. Listen to this in verse, chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, a righteousness from God being made right, being in right standing with God comes not from God's word, but from the law, I mean following obedience. He says, this righteousness comes from, uh, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He's talking about a righteousness not in your acts or deeds, but in a relationship. You see, if there's one thing to seek, I would say this, it's a vertical pursuit. It's a pursuit of a relationship with God. If there's one thing you could spend your time stressing and thinking about, like, how can I be a better follower and better relationship with Jesus Christ? How can I pursue this? 
Now, you might be saying, well, how does this help me with my worry and anxiety? How does this help me relieve the stress? Think about something. The more time you spend with a sovereign God, the more you can come to trust that he is sovereign. He's going to do what he says. The more time I spend with people I know and I trust, the more I free, the more I give them of my life, saying, listen, I can trust you to this. I can give you this. Why? Because you've proven yourself to me. The more time you spend with God, the more you're going to come to trust him and say, listen, God, you do got this. And the more experiences you're going to have where you get to come back and say, listen, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what yesterday looked like and I made it through that day. I don't know what that thing coming up that I'm worrying about looks like, but I remember back then when God brought me through that and I trust that he can do it again. If you don't think that matters and you've missed the, all the Old Testament where God says, hey, look back at what I did, look back at what I did. And so a vertical pursuit of God builds trust through a relationship, but not just that, but even through worship and admiration, it makes us put things in perspective. When we begin to worship God, we begin to see God for who he is. I love what one pastor used the illustration. If I were to take my bottle cap right here, and I were to go outside and look up at the sun, I could put that thing in front of my eye and completely block out the sun and look, listen, this thing of magnitude, it doesn't exist, it's not even there. But when I begin to move it away and I begin to take it farther off my view and begin to look, suddenly this bottle cap next to the sun looks like a small, insignificant thing. Suddenly I start getting perspective of the magnitude, the greatness of the sun out there. It's the same in our life. When we begin to worship God for who he is, it puts in perspective who we are and who he is. And suddenly we go, you know what? I think God's got this. I think he's got this under control. And so we spend time in a vertical pursuit with God in, in pursuing his righteousness. He also lists another thing. It's not just his righteousness. What else? It's his kingdom. What does that mean? In Scripture, when he talks about his kingdom, it's talking about God's authority and reign on earth, God establishing his presence. Where does he do that? In his people, in you, in me. You see, he's not just talking about a vertical pursuit, but he's talking about a horizontal pursuit as well, a relationship with other believers, pouring into other people. It's investing and getting involved in God's kingdom. When you start getting involved in God's kingdom work, suddenly your issues look much more instant. You know what? I'm not going to worry. Like, I, I want to get consumed with this. Not just that. When you begin to rally with other people in the same missional cause, God says where two of you are more gathered, there I'll be also. If you guys can agree on something, guess what? I'll agree on also. God has a joy of blessing his children, not just a child. And so the more children they're involved in, the more is going to be. Listen, God wants to provide and be with them in that situation. And so we have a responsibility to pursue a relationship with God and pursue a relationship and, and get involved in the kingdom work. Listen, God is going to provide the tools and the substance for his people who are involved in his mission work. Now, let me just say real quick, because I want this to be extremely practical. How does God provide through kingdom of God? How does he do that? He says all these things will be given to you. Like, how does he do that? Like, God supernaturally does things in our life, and I've seen situations that I can't begin to explain. But one, I can know without, a con without doubt in Scripture you find. Like, there's no formula for blessings, but there is a conduit you see over and over in Scripture. What is it? It's through the local body of believers. It's through the church. God uses the kingdom of God, the people of God, to bless and, and serve one another. He uses it to help and provide other needs. Some people will say, man, I wish God you were here. And God's like, I am. And my church is there. That's who's doing it. That's who's saving it. That's who's providing it. And so at the church, I'm saying this. Listen, if you want to pursue and find God to begin to provide for your needs, you have to get involved with other believers. I would say here, you have to get involved with the connecting group. Just in the last few months alone, the testimonies I've heard of people going on. Tony Delalio shared, he wants to come share his testimony. Like, he lost his job. And you want to talk about a guy who just, man, I'm just disheartened. He said, I didn't know which way was up, but my church rallied around me. I would have never made it through that season. 
Come alongside him, encourage him, speak in life to him, help him through a difficult time. Listen, that is a testimony of how God uses the kingdom to provide for others' needs. Talking to Carrie Rice just with what was going on with their son not long ago. He was in tears just the other day as we're talking. He said, man, listen, I was just struggling. Like, I don't know what to do, but man, the church body stepped up and just came. And listen, it had nothing to do with providing sometimes physical needs. It was just knowing they were praying for me and that they were there and they cared. That there was something about that just got us through that season. God uses his church to do this. Like at times, listen, at times you're the blessee and you receive the blessings. But other times you're the blesser. And it's your job to provide and God is using you to do it. And so when you refuse or choose not to get involved, listen, you're depriving others and yourself of being provided by the hands of God himself. Man, I wish God had provided my life. Were you involved in the body of Christ? Well, no, then, then not, there's no wonder you're not seeing God moving in your life. No wonder you're not getting that encouragement. No wonder you're not getting that sustenance to make it through. You come try to listen to Eric's preaching. Listen, thanks, but that's not going to do it. It's much more than that. You need to get messy. You need to get involved with people in the church. You need to get active in it. Your involvement in the kingdom of God is vital. It's one of Jesus' remedy for worry. How how do I get through worry? And then I I pursue God, and I get involved with the community of believers. And suddenly, you know what? God's presence is always there. I can't tell you how many times in this last two, three years, just being a pastor, I've stressed about so much stuff that people in the body of Christ have come at very time. Listen, I, I did not talk to them. I didn't say anything to them, but they came to me by, I think, divine appointment and just came and said an encouraging word that got me through to the next day. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Listen, man, they, they kept, man, God, I needed that. I needed that. Sometimes I worry and stress, and they tell me, listen, hey, God, God's got this. Let me tell you my story about what God's done. So I needed that. I needed that. You see, he's saying this. Listen, you, you worry about God. And all the things of God. Get involved, get stressed. Like, you want to get stressed about something? Get stressed about how can I get more plugged into a relation with God? How can I get more stress, get plugged into the kingdom of God? But with your life, like, let, let God worry about that. Because my God, he's pretty big. He's got it. I know. I look back at my life and all the things I wished at the moment would go differently. I look back and like, God, thank you so much for not answering my prayers and those things. And so my question to you is, like, what are you worried or anxious about right now? What, what right now are you thinking, God, if, I don't, if you don't take care, like, I don't know what to do about this. Like, what are you stressing about right now? All your stress is useless. And so here's the thing. Come to a point to say, God, I just want you. I'm going to get more entrenched with the body of Christ. Can I tell you what our natural reaction to stress is? Is to isolate and separate. And I'm not trying to sound over-spiritual. That is a tool of the devil to try to get that. It's the complete opposite. We need to engage and get involved. And suddenly we say, you know what, God, I, you got me through that season. The real reality that I need to tell you this is, listen, all this is great, but it doesn't matter if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you can't have his righteousness. You can't have his kingdom without him. It can't happen. Like Jesus would say in Matthew, he'd say, come to me all who are heavy laden, all you who are worried and stressed, and I'll give you rest. And so many of us are trying to find a shortcut around the way, say, I want everything but that. Listen, you, you will not find it absence of relationship with Jesus Christ. The body cannot be the body without the presence of Jesus Christ going on it. And so if you're sitting here saying, like, how do I get through this? And you do not have a relationship, you have not given yourself to the Lord and say, God, I, I've given myself, I, I have salvation. Listen, you, you're wasting your time. It won't happen. And so today may be a day you need to come and say, listen, I, I submit my life to you. 
If you're a believer, a child of God, listen, maybe today you need to re-emphasize that. Hey, God, today I submit my life to you. I know I'm a child of God, but I haven't given this area of my life to you, and I give it to you. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. Where are you at if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes and spend a second just doing work with God? As Katie and the band comes up and begins to get ready to lead us,